Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Gary Kaplan. He's the founder and medical director of the Kaplan Center for Integrative Medicine. He's also the author of two books, Total Recovery, A Revolutionary New Approach to Breaking the Cycle of Pain and Depression, and Why Are You Still Sick? How Infections Can Break Your Immune System and How You Can Recover. And in fact, today on the Health Fix Podcast, Dr. Gary and I are going to be talking all about chronic infections and how they do break your immune system and how much of the things like pandas, pots, things of that nature are hijacking your immune system causing it to turn against you and creating autoimmune conditions in addition to inflammaging. So we have quite a podcast for you. And if you are on the hunt for trying to figure out what the heck is going on with you, this is going to be a great podcast for you. Also, if you or you know someone that has a teenager or a child that is really struggling with chronic fatigue, maybe outbursts, and you're trying to figure out what is going on with their mental health, and it possibly started after an infection or even a tick bite or exposure to a tick bite, I'm getting that lime here, this could be something to seriously look at into. There are so many things that can hijack your immune system, even heavy metals, things like overload of mercury, things of that nature. So great podcast with Dr. Kaplan. He even talks about a conference that he is going to be holding later this year in 2023. So nevertheless, let's introduce you to Dr. Gary Kaplan. Hello there, health junkies. I have Dr. Gary Kaplan on today, and we have a topic that I find so, so important to talk about because it is something I work with every single day in my office. It's something that Dr. Gary is working on too, and it's the concept of understanding your immune system, how it can go off the rails, how infections are at play here, and how we're looking at autoimmune illness and how to approach it. So Dr. Gary Kaplan, welcome to the Health Fix Podcast. Thank you for having me on. I am absolutely delighted to be here. Well, I am excited to talk about all of these things with you because they are, there's such a, a need to understand what is going on because like your book says, why you are still sick and, and really understanding that people are not crazy. They are sick. There are things going on and, and really highlighting this, this concept of, of infections and immune system dysfunction. So Dr. Gary, tell us how you started to see this this whole pattern unfold and and how you know you were like, wow, this something's not right here. Something's happening. Give us a scoop. So, so my background is in uh family medicine and pain medicine, uh, and integrative medicine, uh and acupuncture. So uh we do a little bit of all of the above here. Uh and so uh Back at the end of the 90s, one of my academies, American Academy of Pain Medicine, said, you know, we can start treating benign pain syndromes with opioids. And here we are, 20 plus years later, we all know how well that worked out. Mm -hmm. And what we found when we started looking at that model was our patients were seesawing back and forth between depression, uh, anxiety disorders, and, and chronic pain. And so we got really confused as to what we were looking at because we didn't know what we were looking at. All right. And so uh, I got together a, a group of colleagues uh, from Georgetown, from NIH, and I said, OK, guys, what are we looking at? And very blessed with uh, having some very bright people at the table. And over time, what we understood was that what we were really looking at were the symptoms of inflammation in the brain. And that completely changed our thinking because we have this whole list of diseases uh chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, problems with pans, pandas, the pediatric acute neuropsychiatric syndromes, uh, problems with uh, treatment, non-responsive depressions, mm -hmm. okay, and anxiety disorders. And it turns out that as we continued to do our work, what we found was all of these things at their basis were neuroinflammatory diseases. And so 
my first book, uh, Total Recovery, really outlined this whole model, but talked specifically about the innate immune system. So we've got two p big chunks of the immune system. All right. So one side is the innate. That's kind of the first responders. That's the it's about stereotypical in the way it responds each time. Uh, and in the brain, that a little bit easier for us, because as opposed to this plethora of cells that exist in the periphery, we have microglia and we have mast cells and astrocytes. And that's pretty much it in the central nervous system. So understanding that gave us our first foothold in terms of how to better treat these conditions. The second thing uh, we started working on is understanding that a huge number of these things, and I have to give huge credit to uh, Suedo, who created the concept of pans pandas, where kids would get these strep infections and then devolve into these horrible uh, behavioral problems where they're having rage attacks and they're, I have one kid who did about $10,000 worth of damage to the house in the process of it. And in between, sweetest kid on the planet. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're, these are not bad kids. They are kids with bad diseases. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of these people we were seeing, uh, we started to understand that if we took it from a, a neuroinflammatory perspective, everything changed. And one of the one of the uh, classics that I kid that I saw many years ago, a uh, seventeen year old who came in uh, suicidally depressed, uh, tried to hang himself, and multiple uh, workups psychiatrically had been admitted to the hospital, and nothing was working on him. So they sent him to me to look at it from a, a neuroinflammatory perspective, and what we found on him was he had celiac disease. Mm. Okay. So wow. he has an autoimmune disease to gluten, mm -hmm. right? Eating bread. Mm -hmm. And uh, about 5% of celiacs will present with only neurologic symptoms, no gastrointestinal problems. And so when we, uh, we found that, we treated that, which involved mostly dietary interventions. We sealed his gut over a period of time. Within a year's time, everything is fixed. He is off all his antidepressants. He's 100%. I've now followed him over the course of about five, six years, and he's doing spectacular. Lovely, lovely kid. So we see these kids, and one of the problems that comes in with a lot of these people, especially women, women are, and I, and I have to give a, a quick plug for a dear friend of mine, uh, Sarah Remy, who wrote a book, Women of Mysterious Illness. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's a brilliant book, and I think it should be required reading in every medical school in the country. But it's about how women so often come in with these somewhat vague symptoms and get gaslighted. Yep. They get told that, uh, you know, they're making it up, that now everything's fine, your labs are fine, just go away, you're okay, when in fact you're not okay, and you're becoming, in some cases, increasingly disabled. And finally, what happened was COVID. COVID, the huge <laughs> blessing in disguise with COVID was this post-COVID syndrome. And everybody went, ooh, wait a minute, an infection can lead to a problem in the immune system that results in fatigue and pain and digestive disturbances and all those weird, vague things you were complaining about that we've just flat out dismissed over the years, turns out are very real and have very serious consequences as a result of an infection that broke the immune system and left you disabled. Mm -hmm. And it happens overwhelmingly to women as opposed to men. We're not sure why that is. That's true of virtually all autoimmune diseases. Uh, we think that it has to do with the estrogen balance because that the occurrence of autoimmunity seems to level off after menopause. But nevertheless, uh, women are affected dramatically more so by these conditions and it's the chronic fatigue syndrome. It's a fibromyalgia. It's the chronic low-grade depression that's not responding to treatment. Uh, it's the anxiety disorders. It can even be bipolar disease and post-COVID syndrome. And it turns out that they're not crazy. They're sick. Mm -hmm. yes. And are bad because we haven't been listening. And so this connection then between infections and the occurrence also of neuropsychiatric illness, fancy name for depression, anxiety disorders, okay? Mm -hmm. So it turns out that, another example, a young woman I saw, she's 16 years old when I'm seeing her, all right? 10 years old, she starts developing problems with anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, uh, cutting behavior. Uh, she's treated psychiatrically. She's hospitalized at one point. Uh, she stabilizes for a little while. She uh, deteriorates again. 
uh, and ends up uh, suicidal, again, gets hospitalized, and we've gone back and forth. So now we have a 16-year-old young woman who has been told she's crazy, right? What do you think that does for your self-esteem? What do you think that does for your standing in your community in high school, not the most forgiving group of individuals on the planet? And so I I finally got a chance to see her and uh, work her up. And what she has is Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And she got Lyme disease effectively when she was 10 years old. And it created this PANS syndrome. So PANS is the same thing as, um, uh, well, as the same thing according to the strep, but PANS doesn't get PANDAS, which is the strep piece of it. But PANS is without the strep. It's other infections that create the same problem. So here's a child who has been very sick. The diagnosis has been missed. She's been told she's crazy. She's not crazy. She's sick. The really bad news is I call up her psychiatrist to tell her about what we're doing here and what we found. The psychiatrist says, I'm wrong. I'm crazy. I'm a quack. No, she doesn't have this. I said, well, she has CDC positive Lyme disease on testing. And she said, well, that's not the cause of this. I said, okay, but she has autoimmune antibodies to her brain uh, that we tested with molecular, the Cunningham test. And she says, well, I don't believe in that. And she's completely dismissive of me. Okay. Wow. Wow. I've written papers. I lecture nationally. I'm not insecure on this. So telling this to me, I'm not worried about telling it to the mother, telling it to the daughter, it's criminal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's keeping this kid sick. So, you know, we run into this within the profession. And so we have this huge job ahead of us of not only educating the profession, but we've got to reassure people that they are not crazy, that they are sick, that they've been misdiagnosed, and we have to do better as a profession in terms of caring for them and listening to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am, you know, surprised that that was a reaction that what that you received, especially with all of the data you have. But I've heard that from other folks, too. You know, for me, I'm a naturopath. I accept it. You know, we're on the fringe. We understand. But like, boy, you know, having someone with with all of your your research, your data behind you, your papers, everything. It's like, wow, to be dismissed. That is and and now, of course, like you said, the criminal side of it, where we're we're convincing patients that they are they may very well be crazy. This is, I see this every day. I see it every day. As do I, unfortunately, and uh, it's painful to watch. But at least I can't tell you how relieved people are when you say to them, "Ah, here's your problem. Now let's figure out a fix." Right. Right. Now you had mentioned a lot of different testing, and in in the realm of speaking with folks like, hey, could you possibly have Lyme? A lot of folks will tell me, well, I've never had a bite. I don't go out in the woods. I have no idea how that could happen. So I'd love for you to shed some light for folks. How, one, how does Lyme end up with someone that cannot remember if they had a bite? So we'll we'll go through that. And then also talking about the testing that you mentioned, because it sounds definitely the brain antibodies, you know, I, I have not done testing that extensive. I would love to hear more about that. T- tell us more. Absolutely. And it's outlined in the book while you're still sick, along with the companies that do the testing. So there's a lot of stuff you can order on your own or talk to your physician about. But basically Lyme is, Lyme is a tricky one. Okay, Mm -hmm. because Lyme, there's a huge amount of controversy about what test to use and what the criteria are. Mm -hmm. The LabCorp and the Quest testing, I think, is grossly inadequate. And the reason it's grossly inadequate is because there are about eight different species of Borrelia. Burdoffi is the classic one with Lyme, but there are other species. And the the LabCorp testing uh, and Quest testing only test for one of the species. So they can readily miss the disease. So it's and the the testing that was set up and the criteria for that was actually set up for research purposes, not clinical diagnostic purposes. So mm-hmm. the reality of the matter is most of the testing done in conventional labs is pretty inadequate. The, the lab we use, uh, and there are probably two labs that we use the most, is Vibrant uh, mm-hmm. and Igenix. And uh we, the testing is getting increasingly sensitive and increasingly more accurate. Uh, Igenix in particular uh, now allows us to be able to culture uh, for Lyme, which is a brand new thing. It also allows us, there's uh, these new testing called immunoblots, which I think are far more accurate uh, in terms of giving us uh, the data we need. And the other thing about Lyme disease 
is it ain't just Lyme. Ticks carry a bunch of different infections. So they may cause anaplasma, they may call it, carry lichia, they may carry uh, uh, tick-borne relapsing fever, which is a uh, Miyamoto species. Uh, they may carry Bartonella, which does a lot of neurologic uh, symptoms. And they may carry Babesia, which is a parasite uh, that causes fevers, chills, uh, and general horrible feelings. So you have to think, you have to expand your concept of tick-borne diseases and not just think Lyme, but really think about all these other potential infections. You're influenced in your testing by where you live. I happen to live in an extremely dense, uh, high-risk area for tick-borne diseases. And where are you getting the ticks from? Hanging out of the yard. And many times people don't even know they've been bitten. And the classic erythema migrans rash, this bullseye <laughs> rash, first of all, frequently doesn't look like a bullseye. And secondly, uh, does it occur in probably a majority of the patients who actually get Lyme disease? So you can get this, you can get the tick bite and not experience the rash per se, but maybe you just feel generalized yuck, also mm -hmm. referred to as generalized malaise, some joint pain. Okay, you may feel like you've had a flu and it may last for a couple of weeks, but it doesn't ever quite go away. And in fact, you may find yourself increasingly disabled uh, over time as a result of this, especially if it was missed and not treated. So we need to do proper testing to first find out if you have it, if you've got pets, cats, dogs, they can carry ticks into the house and you can get bit. Um, so once you become a little bit more savvy in terms of understanding that if you're in a high endemic area where uh, tick-borne diseases are present, yeah, if you're in the Rockies, I'd be thinking more about where cats seal diseases in terms of Rocky Mountain spotted fever, those kind of things. So you need to, you know, where you are and what bugs occur most frequently gives you the highest probability of finding uh, what you have. But it's a function, you know, we throw a pretty wide net when we look at people because frequently the problem is not just the infection, but it's the setup. Okay. So we are about genetics, okay, which we're just beginning to really get a grasp on, but it's epigenetics that I think are more important. So epigenetics are the, the, technically it's things on top of, but what they do is they're things that turn on and off genes and what kind of things turn it off genes. Well, environmental toxins yeah. uh, can, you know, mold toxins can do a, a hell of a number on the immune system and the neurologic system and create havoc unto themselves. You can have problems with heavy metals. Where are you going to get heavy metals from? Well, lead from the drinking water in far too many places in this country. Uh, mercury from eating fish. Basically, what happens is the coal-burning plants throw lots of mercury up into the upper atmosphere. It rains down into the oceans, and then it works its way up the chain. And at the top of that chain, there's swordfish and tuna, uh, which can carry huge amounts of mercury in their system. In fact, you know, the, the USDA says you've got no business eating, if you're pregnant, more than two cans of tuna fish a week because of the mercury content. Wow. Now. I don't think anybody pregnant or otherwise should be eating that if that's the problem, if there's that much mercury in the system. So how much mercury is good for you? None. <laughs> so, so let's back up to that. You know, we're now dealing with these forever chemicals, the plasticides and stuff, uh, which are tough to measure and tougher to, to eliminate from our systems. Uh, so we have problems where we've uh, really disrupted our gut health because of the foods we eat, uh, because of stress. And that can set us up for immune deficiencies and potentially for this, the infection to come in, break the system. And now we've got an autoimmune disease uh, going on in addition to the infection itself. So it's complicated. You have to kind of take it a step at a time and walk it through. And I will tell you the other thing that we need to be very sensitive to in terms of environmental risk is, as it's called, adverse events of childhood. Mm -hmm. okay? I hate that term. Yeah. Because it's a very benign clinical sounding term for child abuse, child neglect, which is far too prevalent in our society and which sets people up for development of autoimmune diseases later in life. If you suffered adverse events of child, if you child abuse, neglect, you're 15% higher risk of ultimately developing an autoimmune disease. You're 20% at ultimate risk of developing heart disease and obesity above the rest of the population. So the fact of the matter is, this child abuse stuff is a great big deal. 
and needs to be addressed as part and parcel of what we do. And too often we separate out the psychological problems from the physical problems, and we need to stop that. They're one of the same, and we need to treat them as a coherent whole so that we're thoughtful and careful about what we're doing. So there's lots of steps to this, understanding the things that have set you up, sleep disturbances. Sleep disturbances are going to screw up your immune system. If you're not getting an adequate night's sleep, meaning seven to eight hours solid sleep at night. If you have sleep apnea present, about 5% of the population, 80, 85% of that population doesn't know they have it. They stop breathing at night. (laughs) Your oxygen content drops down. Very bad thing. I speak from firsthand experience. I have sleep apnea. I wear a CPAP every night. Narcolepsy is another thing which is frequently overlooked, which is also an autoimmune disease. Now, narcolepsy, people think about, yeah, people think about narcolepsy as... Uh, as suddenly falling asleep during the day, cataplexy, whenever you get a, a strong emotion, which is one form of narcolepsy. But daytime hypersomnolence, being fatigued all the time during the day, is another piece of narcolepsy and too often overlooked. And we frequently find uh, narcolepsy when we go look for it in our patient population. Mm-hmm. So these kind of things need to be addressed and treated uh, as part of a comprehensive treatment program to completely rehab your immune system you know, gut health becoming absolutely crucial as part of this as well, completely rehab your immune system and thus be able to have an immune system that can now properly fight off the infections and doesn't overreact to the infection such that it now starts mistaking you for the enemy. Yes. And that's what an autoimmune is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm blown away about Thinking, thinking in terms of daytime somnolence, so, so sleepiness during the day as being an autoimmune condition. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, and I, and I know we haven't talked about it on the podcast. So, folks, this is a, this is a big deal and something to really pay attention to because I think a lot of folks will be like, "I'm just tired. I'm getting older. It's no big deal. Oh, I'm just stressed. I'm getting tired." And and you know sometimes it'll be hormones too. Like, oh, I guess my hormones are off. This is something we need to be paying attention to big time, big time. Absolutely, positively. And it's relatively straightforward to do. So I would encourage all of your listeners to go online and look up Epworth, E-P-W-O-R-T-H, Epworth's Mm -hmm. uh, questionnaire. It's a very quick, simple, easy, two-minute questionnaire to tell if if you're sleepier than you should be. Mm -hmm. All right. And basically, if you score nine or 10 above on that scale, you need to talk to somebody about the possibility of sleep apnea or something else going on. But Mm -hmm. chronic fatigue is a symptom of inflammation in the brain. And that's the thing we're trying to get across is these post-treatment Lyme syndromes and the pans pandas and these chronic depressive syndromes and these chronic pain syndromes are because of inflammation in the brain. And then knowing that piece of information, you work backwards to try and figure out what's the setup, what caused the inflammation and what's maintaining the inflammation. Because bugs in and of themselves can create the problem. But the immune system, ultimately, its reaction to treating all this stuff is what maintains it. And so there's a point at which the immune system itself becomes the problem. That's where we have a true autoimmune process. And that has to be factored into the treatment. So if you kill bugs, important, first, first job. But if you do not test and treat the immune system, you'll fail. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's something really important to talk about because right now in social media and and what I see when folks come into me is they've tried a million things to kill, but we're not working on the supporting the immune system, supporting the body with sleep, things of that nature. It's just all about kill, kill, kill. And I'm sure you've heard just as many stories of of wild um, different herbal therapies and things that folks are trying on their own. Let's talk a little bit about treatment process and and kind of how you're incorporating in supporting the immune system, working on de-inflaming and and the kill process. What what are you up to in that department? First things, history. History, history, history. My intakes are about two hours long. So I I really want to get a good comprehensive because you know the interesting thing is uh, I'll say to somebody, when was the last time you were in excellent health? And they said, oh, that's easy. I was I was last in excellent health uh, in 2020 uh, before I got COVID. And since then, everything's been downhill. I said, okay. So we take that history and then we say, okay, any history of headaches? Oh, I've had migraines 
since I was 12. Really? Okay. Maybe we haven't been in perfect health since <laughs> 2020, <laughs> since now you're 40. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right? I do find that recall can be a little mishy-mashy there. <laughs> yeah. How's your digestion? Oh, I tend to get constipated, but it's not a big deal. I, I manage that. Really? How long has that been an issue? Oh, well, I really didn't have good bowel moments when I was a kid. Any foods that you're sensitive to? Oh, yeah, but I avoid them. So, uh, or I put up with the bloating <laughs> and the gas. And, and so you start listening to the whole story, and then you start getting a much more comprehensive picture of really when their health started to decline. Because it's, there is a dramatic point at which their health declines, but then there's an earlier point at which they were clearly starting to have the body sending up all kinds of signal flares saying, eh, problem. Uh, that were dismissed by your physician and frequently dismissed by you because your physician said, oh, you're fine. And in fact, you were not. This business of fatigue, fatigue is a symptom of inflammation of the body, period. Mm -hmm. Okay, now figure out what that means. Do you have low thyroid? Do you have problems with anemia? Do you have problems? There's a number of things that can cause fatigue, mm -hmm. but you need to have a proper medical workup to determine whether what the issue is. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you do is get that history. Have you lived in water-damaged buildings? Have you been exposed to mold that you know of? Have you had tick bites? Have you had other infections? You know, what was life like when you were a child? Did you get sick all the time? Oh, yeah, I had tonsillitis all the time. and struck through four or five times a year. So as we get that information, then we start backing up, and then we do a couple of things. So one is, as appropriate, we will test for toxins in the body. We think that there's heavy metals, we'll test for those. If we think that there's mold, we'll test for that. Mold toxins specifically. Mm -hmm. It's not the mold I'm concerned about, it's the toxins. Those mm -hmm. are the things that the mold secrete in order to protect themselves in the environment. So we're checking to see for toxins. And about and the other piece is not everybody is impacted by this stuff. Mm -hmm. So about 80% of people make the enzymes necessary to kill the mold toxins, process them, make them go away, end of discussion. But somewhere between 15 to 20% of people do not. And those are the people who get deathly ill. I have clients who they can be, they're sick as a dog in the house they're living in. Their spouse is completely fine. Yes. And we have had several situations where they have had to abandon the house because they couldn't remediate it in order to get the one spouse safe enough, healthy enough in order to get, uh, get out. And so, uh, if we find mold toxins, one of the first things we want to do is make sure you're no longer getting exposed to them. Got to clean up your environment. Got to have the house checked by uh, an environmental air specialist. You have to, uh, you may have to have the school or your workplace checked out, which there you can run into a bit of resistance on those. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> That's been, been there, have you? No. So, Yes. Yes, I have. Oof. We have one particular very fancy, very expensive private school in the area that in addition to an excellent education, you get a dose of mold uh, as part of your uh, educational experience. And mm. we actually got to a point where they had to shut down one of the buildings and uh, refurbish it because too many kids are getting sick. So well, my, pers my perspective is one kid sick is too many, but apparently you need a tipping point. Oh, so, my goodness. So we're, we're checking for mold toxins, we're checking for uh, heavy metals, we're checking for uh, other toxins that you may be exposed to, uh, and we're looking at your gut, all right? How healthy is your gut? So there's a number of different tests that we do to determine whether there's any bacterial overgrowth, whether or not uh, there's problems with uh, failure to secrete adequate pancreatic enzymes so you're digesting your foods, whether or not uh, there are uh, parasites or other things that are potentially in the gut that are keeping that inflamed. Because at its basis, an unhealthy gut equals an unhealthy brain. Unhealthy mm -hmm. brain also equals an unhealthy gut. So we've mm -hmm. got to make sure we're paying attention uh, to this as we're, as we're uh, managing your rehab. And then we're looking at uh, trace mineral deficiencies and, you know, magnesium is, is, is key, which we see most frequently. Vitamin D deficiencies are very, very common. And they need to be tested for. I, vitamin D should be part of everybody's yearly physical. And the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, uh, the uh, we're at least now saying 30 nanogram per deciliter is the norm, which is okay. Mm -hmm. But the real, if you look at the literature, uh, 50 to 80 is really the ideal. And 
vitamin D is a hormone. Vitamin D impacts your immune system. Low vitamin D levels, your immune system is not functioning right. Easy to fix, yeah. as is magnesium. Easy to fix. So these are supplements that can be taken in order to, to you to take control of your health. Uh, and so, and by the way, I'll put a plug in for naturopaths because you guys pay far more attention to this stuff than my profession does. My profession is horrific with this stuff. And you guys come along and you go, oh, no, we got to pay attention to this, all the nutritional stuff and the integrated medicine. And it's brilliant. And, uh, you know, I applaud what you're doing. And uh, it's such a necessary part of the entire medical system. And it really needs to be better integrated uh, into the entire system uh, yeah. so that we get better care for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hope that we can move forward in that department because it, it is, I mean, it's shocking how many people, and I'm sure you see the same thing. I'll even test a vitamin D in the middle of July and be shocked where, where levels are at and someone comes in and they're tan and they're like, but I'm out in the sun all the time getting my D. I'm like, apparently we've got a oh. lot going on in the body where it's blocking that from happening at this point. <laughs> right. And if you're using sunscreen, by the way, Yes. As soon as you got SPF eight or above on, uh, you're not making any vitamin D at all. I don't care how much time you're in the sun. I'm glad you mentioned that. That is something that, yes, I want folks to to hear about that because that is a concept that has kind of had some not, you know, mis misconceptions put out online about that. And yes, yes, huge, huge, huge thing there. Oh my goodness. All right. What, what, what else can we mine? What else can we mine your brain of? Now you had mentioned the the test, you had mentioned the mycotox test. Are you using uh mosaic formerly great plains, or do you have a different company you use? We I'm certainly just... use, we use both. We use mosaic okay. in real time. Those are the okay. two labs that I use for mycotoxin testing. Okay. Uh, and I think it's a function for the practitioner, which one you're used to using and, um, and know how to manipulate. So, mm -hmm. um, so those are both excellent tests and we have no hesitancy in using that. We use mosaic testing, organic acid tests when we're uh, as part of our workup for uh, for gut health. We'll also use GIFX mm -hmm. uh, from Genova. Uh, also looking at it's a, it's a direct stool test as opposed to an indirect uh, test, which the organic acid test is. And uh, we'll also do SIBO testing because neither of those tests will necessarily pick up SIBO. So SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, you can see it in people who are having bloating and gas, more commonly diarrhea, but you can see it in people who are also having issues with constipation. And uh, SIBO uh, is, you shouldn't have a lot of bacteria in the small intestine. Most of your bacteria should be in the large intestine. So this mm -hmm. is a case where you've gotten wash back into the small intestine and overgrowth there. And that's going to create a lot of problems with absorption of trace minerals. It's going to create a lot of infl inflammation. The gut microbiome is about two, 2.2 uh, kilos of material in your gut that is legitimately your second brain. And it's made up of bacteria and about 95% of it is bacterial DNA, but it's also made up of a certain amount of mold and it's made up of some viral uh, RNA and it's made up uh, of other things that you may have ingested along the way, parasites and whatnot. So uh, that has a direct impact on the health of your gut wall. Mm -hmm. And that's going to determine whether your gut wall is inflamed, in which case you're going to pass things into you that you shouldn't. Now, one of the ways you can tell if somebody has uh, an inflamed gut wall is they have allergies to lots of foods. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons they have allergies to lots of foods is when the gut gets inflamed, there are these things called tight junctions where cells come really close together. There's a huge amount of uh, immune material inside between those cells. And its job is to determine what's going to get from the inside of your gut to your bloodstream. Because the inside of your gut is actually outside of you. It's a long tube that runs through you. And there's a mucosal barrier that determines whether or not things get into the blood. If that is disrupted, where it's inflamed and those spaces are made larger, then what happens is large molecules pass from the gut into the bloodstream. The body is unfond of large molecules and says, that is something I need to make an antibody against. So now what happens is you're having sensitivity to foods which, if your gut were healthy and sealed, you wouldn't be reacting to. And so we'll have to do elimination diets with people. And one of the, the very first simple, easy things to do is rice, fish, chicken, fresh fruits, and vegetables. End discussion. That's what's on your diet. One month. 
We just want everything to kind of quiet down. Mm-hmm. And organic, organic, organic. And so uh, that's what we want for one month doing that. The challenge with that always is uh, the first week where they're complaining to me, well, what do I eat? And uh-huh. the last week when they're feeling so much better and they're going, well, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we've got a nutritionist on staff and we work, we work that back. But once you've got the gut sealed and healthy, six months later, you can start reintroducing foods and many things that you were sensitive to before you're no longer sensitive to. Mm-hmm. But you have to introduce them one at a time because if you introduce multiple ones at the same time, you'll get confused and not necessarily know uh, what it is you're reacting to. So that step-by-step process is is very important. Makes sense. Makes so sense. getting the gut healthy is crucial. We also make sure your sleep is healthy. Uh, there's a, a device we use called a watch pad, uh, which if we're concerned that your upworth is high and we're concerned about the possibility of apnea or even narcolepsy, uh, what we'll do, this is a little device that's FDA approved. We can send you home with it. It'll monitor your sleep for the night, send us the results, and you can throw the device out simple as that and so you don't have to go into a lab and do an overnight sleep study but rather we can determine in your home whether or not you have sleep apnea uh, with an fda approved device so uh that makes life a lot easier in terms of monitoring the other thing we'll do with people is a continuous glucose monitor for 14 days Mm -hmm. uh the libre 3 uh we can frequently get one for free uh, for you for the, for the first pass. And it's a little device that goes on the back of your triceps, back of your upper arm. And it's pretty benign. I've worn them. And yeah. uh, and the thing that's really interesting is to, you keep a food diary and it's fascinating to find out which foods raise your blood sugar and which don't. <laughs> because somebody can eat ice cream and not have any response in terms of raising your blood sugar, but they eat rice and their blood sugar spikes up. Yeah. So that gives us a lot more insight and specific direction for your condition about how we individualize a diet for you to get the best possible results. So that's mm-hmm. a nice way to go about uh, getting that piece of information. So we're putting all of that together. Uh, we're also paying, you know, one other condition we didn't talk about is POTS. Yes. Uh, which shows up on a percentage of these people. Yes, let's talk so, about it. Postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. On these individuals, what happens is they stand up and they fall down. <laughs> now, what's happened is they've lost uh, blood supply to their brain because the blood vessels don't constrict fast enough to keep the column of blood at a high enough pressure to keep the brain perfused. Now, there's several problems with this. One is obviously passing out is a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. Second is uh, every time you do that, it's an assault to the brain that creates inflammation in the central nervous system. So we don't want that happening. That's a very bad thing for you. And the way you diagnose it, simple blood pressure cuff, lying down flat for five minutes. Okay, take your blood pressure and your pulse. Then stand up. Check your blood pressure and your pulse standing still uh, at one minute, at three minutes, and at five minutes. If your pulse changes from, say, 70 to 100 over that time period, and you're not a teenager. If you're a teenager, mm-hmm. it needs to be 110. So the, full, the delta is 40 for them. For adults, it's 30. Then there's a high probability that you have POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. You need to see somebody about that. Okay, but again, it's an in-home test. Easy to do on yourself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, be, and that, by the way, is yet another autoimmune disease. So let's back up. When I say autoimmune disease, what I mean is the acquired part of the immune system. That is the immune system, which when you get a vaccine, builds antibodies to that specific bug, is now being activated, but being activated in a way that it attacks not the bug, but you. Mm-hmm. So the classic are you know rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and scleroderma, uh, Mexican active tissue diseases. In this case, what's happening is the attack tends to be focused on the limbic portion of the brain, which interestingly is also referred to as the emotional brain. Mm-hmm. And so in kids, we see this as really horrible behavioral problems that can come out of the pans pandas group. 
in adults, because the brain is more mature, the blood-brain barrier is a little more mature, what we see is depression and anxiety disorders, along with fatigue, difficulty, focus, and concentration, brain fog. Uh, so all of these things are a result of inflammation of the central nervous system. Now, if you attack the higher cortical structures, you get all of the things I just mentioned. If you attack the autonomic nervous system, component of the brain, okay? This is the fight or flight. This is parasympathetic, sympathetic, which is a little bit different than the rest of the brain. But if you make antibodies to that piece of you, what do you have? You have digestive problems, mm -hmm. right? Because parasympathetic is rest and digest. You have problems with maintaining your pulse and your blood pressure because that's what the sympathetic and parasympathetics do. So that that's a symptom that you have what's called a dysautonomia. That is a problem with the autonomic nervous system. There is yet a third component of the immune system that can be attacked by these antibodies, and that's the peripheral nervous system. And in those individuals, we'll see a condition called chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. Very fancy name, but basically you start seeing problems with loss of sensation and weakness uh, in your extremities. Uh, and this in and of itself can be quite crippling, and if missed, uh, a problem. So these when we start thinking about these things we're thinking about the immune system and which pieces of the immune system are involved the innate or the acquired we're thinking about if the nervous system is under attack which components of the nervous system are under attack and it's on the basis of that that we're starting to rebuild our process in order to help them heal we then go look for bugs right so we're looking for strep we're looking for toxoplasmosis mycoplasma pneumonia we're looking for uh, obviously lyme disease COVID has taught us another very interesting thing, okay? We think in terms of ongoing infections, and if there are ongoing infections, we need to eradicate them. But the great big piece of information is that it's not necessarily a live bug that's causing the immune system to continue to be reactive, but a piece of that bug that's still in the system. <laughs> so you have issues where the bug can't replicate, but there are pieces of it. And specifically, we believe in long COVID, the issue is the uh, spike protein. Uh, and so it's not going to reproduce, but it does sit in the cells. One theory is that it sits specifically in non-classical monocytes. And then they kick out all these inflammatory factors called cytokines. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's our target in terms of our problem now is not an ongoing bug. But our problem is an immune system, which got tripped off by the bug and pieces of the bug staying in the system. That may also be the case, although it's a little bit different with chronic Epstein-Barr infections, because that can uh, stay and be replicable in the system for, uh, for a lifetime. It's a herpes virus. Example of a herpes virus doing that? Shingles. Mm -hmm. so, you have, right? so you have people who get chickenpox when they're little, which is almost all of us, and then later in life, uh, you end up with shingles. Shingles is nothing more than a reactivation of the chickenpox virus, which has been sleeping in the dorsal horns of, of the nervous system all this time. And stress, weakness of the immune system has caused it to reemerge. Mm -hmm. So lots of stuff going on and lots of things we have to think about in the process of putting together this whole picture. So we individualize our approach for the patient. Yeah. And, and it's no longer, you know, one bug, one symptom, antibiotic, go. Uh, it's really a, a much more comprehensive understanding of what's going on in this individual and what it takes to be able to help them recover. And I want to throw in one other uh, fun fact about uh, the brain. The average chess master sitting in a four-hour tournament, how many calories does he burn? Oh, my goodness. Good question. Probably like 2,000 or something because with the brain going five five thousand wow wow okay. the brain is the most metabolically active organ in the body though some may argue that some do not use that but so you're looking at a workout which is more strenuous than most people's physical workouts so this is where we find where people are talking about brain fog and difficulty focus and concentration if your mitochondria are not up for this if your brain's inflamed you've got a problem and you're not going to be able to focus. I had one kid that uh, when we first started working with him, he could, uh, if he read for 10 minutes, he would crash for uh, the rest of the day. 
So for him, and the model with all of these people is pacing, not pushing. So with him is we backed him up to about five minutes with an enforced 20-minute break in between reading periods. And slowly but surely, as we treated the underlying problems, we don't want people crashing because that reinflames the brain. Right. So as we backed him up and slowly but surely worked him off of this, uh, he's now recovered. He's going to be graduating Baylor next year. Nice. So, yeah. So <laughs> it's why we get up in the morning and do what we do. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. So there's a lot involved. It is complicated. The book takes you through kind of step by step, hopefully for physicians as well. And then the other thing we're doing on our end is we hold a yearly conference. I have a foundation, the Foundation for Total Recovery, uh, which I uh, founded after uh, from some of the proceeds of my first book. And uh, that foundation is now uh, sponsoring its third conference. Uh, November 8, 9, 10 this year. It is available to the public uh, virtually. So you can hear the latest, greatest in terms of what's going on in the research. And we're bringing together some of the top researchers and clinicians from certainly this country, but also in this case, England. Last year, we pulled in people from Brazil and Israel. Uh, but we're bringing in NIH. We're bringing in Stanford and Georgetown and Cornell, uh, Hopkins. So these are the serious researchers and clinicians who are at the forefront of this stuff. And we're going to be talking about chronic fatigue syndrome. We're going to be talking about uh, post-treatment Lyme syndrome. We're going to be talking about uh, neuropsychiatric disorders and gut. Everything we've been talking about here, we'll be talking about this conference from some of the, the top people in the field and starting to get people who normally don't talk with one another in the same room Mm -hmm. to start having conversations and cross-fertilize about what's going on. So uh, I invite your audience uh, to attend that program. Uh, that's new understand new developments in understanding chronic illness, uh, the role of immune dysfunction and infections. It's a bit academic, but at the same time, I think we want everybody to understand uh, what's going on in the field. There are some real breakthroughs coming through in new diagnostic techniques using cytokine studies for diagnosing uh, post-treatment uh, Lyme syndrome as well as uh, COVID, uh, long-haul COVID. We're, we're looking at stuff at therapies like stem cells uh, to potentially reset the immune system. And I think this is gonna be a, a huge area uh, coming down the pike in the relatively near future. And so we've uh, got a professor from Wake Forest who will be talking about that. So this is kind of the latest cutting edge stuff. And I, I hope people uh, will be able to attend. They can register online at medstarhealth.org uh, back forward slash uh, NDUC uh, 2023. But you can put that on your website if you would. We will do that. But, we want this. We want the public to be able to attend. Uh, the fees to the public is considerably less than it is for uh, the physicians. Uh, these are very, very expensive conferences to put on, uh, and very time-consuming to put on. But I think critical as we uh, encourage the conversation among our colleagues and among patients mm -hmm. uh, about really what's going on and why they're still sick and what we need to do in order to help get them better. Absolutely. That's that's great. We will make sure, folks, that everything is on my website at drjkrausnd.com in the podcast notes, because this is something that is huge for for you all to understand that, you know, sometimes you have to self-advocate. And, and this is where I'm wanting you all to get the information to understand that, you know, if you're not getting the care and you're not getting any better, it's time to start asking more questions and find folks that can help you. Now, of course, Dr. Kaplan also has his own clinic. So of course, we better talk about that now so folks can know how to reach you there, how to get in touch with you and, and get your services as well. So give us the scoop. Thank you. The uh, center is located in McLean, Virginia, um, and uh, we have uh, three physicians, uh, hopefully four soon. Uh, we have a nurse practitioner. We have an acupuncturist herbalist. We have a nutritionist. Uh, we have a psychotherapist, and we have uh, three physical therapists. Uh, and so uh, we do comprehensive care for comprehensive chronic illness. You know, interesting, the other thing we work on is we also work on anti-aging. Why? Because it turns out that aging is driven by all the things that drive chronic <laughs> illness. Yes. And so 
there's lots we can do uh, in terms of helping keep people more vital, longer, uh, healthy, vital lifestyles. But it's we've learned so much from helping the really sick people that it's now applicable to keeping the rest of us alive and healthy and thriving uh, well into our later years. I'm proud to say my father will be celebrating his 95th birthday uh, in another month. And so good genes is a lovely thing to have. Uh, but uh, good health practices is a way to make sure that those genes get expressed and you get to live that long. So uh, so we want to see that. So we're in McLean, Virginia. We are, we are one of the affiliates of Georgetown uh, Hospital. We're not officially Georgetown. We're a freestanding center. Uh, and uh, if we can be of help, we would be delighted. Love it. Love it. So folks, I'll also have that information on my website. And of course, your book, which is a, a great place, I think, for folks to start, you know, after they've listened to the podcast, head over, grab the book, Why You Are Still Sick. It's, I'm, I'm guessing everywhere you can find books, you also yeah. have it available. Amazon makes it real easy. Yes, uh, they do. <laughs> but, uh, so yes. And again, you know, there's only a couple of us here, right? And so I wanted to be able to put as much information in as many people's hands as possible. And that's mm -hmm. what prompted writing the books. Why You Are Still Sick is a how-to. Here's mm -hmm. here's the testing. Here's the steps. Here's what you want to think about. Here's how you want to do it. And uh, we wanted to put as much information in people's hands. Where are the companies where you can get the testing done? There's a lot you can do on your own. And so we want you to be able to take charge of your own health. Because I have to tell you, my profession won't necessarily do so. Yours, the natural path, much more better at partnering. But my profession uh, still has a ways to go in terms of uh, getting better at this stuff. And so we, you need to be an advocate. You need to uh, educate yourself. Uh, and you do so, you can be very successful in not only recovering your health, but allowing yourself, helping yourself live a long, vital life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. My mission at hand right there for everybody who's listening to this podcast. Dr. Gary Kaplan, thank you so much for giving us so much information. I was taking some notes and I'm going to listen to the podcast again. So guys, there will be lots of notes for you on my website as well. Thanks again. I sincerely appreciate it. And, and boy, I'm thinking about that conference too. So I'm thinking I might be jumping in on that one as well. Please. I am delighted to have been here. I hope I've been of service to you and your uh, audience. And thank you very, very much for this opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks again. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.